Hey guys, welcome to the view from the front. My name is Stan and this is the December 21st edition. Hope everyone is doing amazing out there from wherever you're joining us. Uh, we have a ton to cover in tonight's episode and I can't wait to get into it. But first, just a bit about me. If you are new to the show, uh, a little bit about my background as I spent four years in the Marine Corps, all of that time in the infantry, uh, exited military service, earned a degree in communications, and spent more than 10 years in the news business. Besides all of that, I've also written 12 books. They are all action thrillers about the military or law enforcement, so you can definitely call me a wannabe Tom Clancy. Now, every episode I do three things. I cover hot spots around the world, I try to help unite the nation, and I share some motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode as well as a bit about PTSD for the veterans out there. Now let me explain just a bit about each more of those, about why I'm so passionate about doing this. First of all, I cover the hotspots happening around the world because I honestly believe America needs a smart and sophisticated look at foreign policy that affects the U.S., Europe, the West. Uh, I talk obviously a fair amount about Ukraine, China, every, almost every week, and I think it needs to be done in a way that's not fear-based or clickbait material. So there's several reasons I cover foreign policy. First, Americans are terrible at geography. You guys know this. <laughs> Secondly, there's a gap in our mili- in our uh, news media. Excuse me. They rarely cover foreign policy, and when they do. It's already a crisis, and it's too late. So we end up getting in wars and conflicts before we know what we're doing or even why we're doing it. So as a prior Marine, this matters a lot to me. So part of what I do is hopefully share my love for foreign policy and help kind of encourage your own love for it. So The second broader thing I do every episode is I try to unite the country because we all know that a divided country cannot stand. And so that is America's greatest threat, in my opinion. So I do my best every show to not put down any Republicans, not put down any Democrats. I try not to name call and I always try to be calm. I try to be optimistic and I I just know that we all get too much negative news too many folks try to do, you know, clickbait, fear-based stuff, and so I try to be the opposite of that because we live in a great country and things are usually not as bad as we get led to believe. And then finally, I always share a few words of encouragement at the end of the show because almost everything you have seen or read this week has been negative. And I'm betting you could probably use some positivity and encouragement in your life. So that's what I do every week. And these are three things that I'm certainly interested in. And increasingly more and more people are interested in. So if it's your first time joining us, thanks a lot. It means a lot to me. And I think you're going to enjoy the show. Now, we've got a ton to get into this week. And I wanted to say before I got into it that... I mentioned last week I was going to try to keep the episodes to 30 minutes. And I almost pulled that off. But this week, there's way too much news. And the other thing is that last week, I felt a ton of pressure, and I was shortening the segments, and, you know, it stressed me out. I am not going to lie. So I shortchanged some stuff, and I don't think I can keep anything to 30 minutes. So I'm just going to be me. We're just going to talk this show. If you enjoy it, great. If you have somewhere to be and can't listen later or whatever, I totally get it. You can stop at any time. (laughs) 
So let's begin with some U.S. news. Unfortunately, just as it happened, I believe it was two weeks ago, there was an a training accident involving U.S. forces, and I just wanted to honor the individual who unfortunately passed. I wanted to mention his name. Uh, it was a Marine Corps accident involving a amphibious combat vehicle, or AAV, which is the Marine Corps calls them amphibious assault vehicles. It unfortunately flipped on land at Camp Pendleton, and uh, Sergeant Matthew Beliski, I hope I pronounced that correctly, passed. So I did want to honor him. 14 other Marines were injured, uh, taken to the hospital. Um, only one remains in the hospital. So apparently, and he's in he or she, they didn't say, is in good condition, according to a news release from the Marine Corps. So I hope that those who are injured are healing as well as they can and dealing with the trauma. I'm sure that was not a, a good incident. And uh, I certainly uh, grieve with the family of uh, Sergeant Matthew Bilski. Now, also, while we are talking about U.S. forces, there was another pretty large drone attack involving the U.S. Navy and the Houthi rebels. Uh, the Department of Defense announced that there was a large barrage of 14 attack drones that were near the Navy destroyer USS Kearney and they were successfully engaged and shot down. So this happened just four days ago. So just as we said in some previous episodes, the Houthi rebels are definitely continually to try to attack vessels that are near them in the Red Sea. Now, this is... I did a little research. We're now up to 100 attacks involving one-way drones and ballistic missiles. So this is pretty heavy frequency. Um, there's been 10 merchant vessels that have been uh, targeted. So partly as a response to this, the U.S. has created a coalition of countries to help share the load. Because let's be honest, the U.S. Navy is spread pretty thin. And just as I will talk about Toward the end of the episode, there's a lot going on with China right now. So the U.S. helped pull together a coalition to address the need because there were increasingly commercial vessels saying they would go all the way around Africa instead of through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. And so the U.S. pulled together this coalition. That's something that the, one, the U.S. is one of the only countries large enough and with enough political capital to pull together. And so there's a new operation that's called Operation Prosperity Guardian. It's bringing together lots of countries, but just some of them that you would recognize include the United Kingdom, Bahrain, Canada, France, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, Spain. And those are just some of them. A lot of those countries are donating the use of like frigates or destroyers so that they can spread the you know the load on what's having to be done to help protect these commercial vessels so they're naming this group a part of task force 153 those numbers don't mean a lot to me and they probably don't mean a lot to you but it is definitely what i guess it's definitely a needed response. The White House is calling it a natural response. Now, as a reminder, just for some background, the Houthis, they are 
a militant group. They is aligned with Iran. They have been fighting in Yemen as a part of the civil war there. And it's been going on for years. And Saudi Arabia has obviously been fighting to help try to prop up the government of Yemen. Also to help stabilize the border of Saudi Arabia and to deal with this threat from the Houthis who, as I said, are aligned with Iran and Iran is a natural enemy of Saudi Arabia. So all of this, as we've talked about, as we've talked in previous episodes, has kind of come together in the past few weeks. Uh, I am still, you know, pretty, uh, I guess proud is the right word that while so many in the media have been trying to blow this up and scare people and talk about a war with Iran, etc., I have been saying consistently all along that I did not think such a thing would happen and that some of these smaller Iranian-aligned groups might do some smaller attacks, but the reality is, is I don't think Iran is in a position to where it wants any kind of large-scale battle with either the U.S. or Israel. And as I've said in the past, if you're wondering why I would say that, the main reason is that Iran has made a lot of progress on its nuclear development and any kind of large-scale conflict with the U.S. would probably lead to us or Israel or perhaps both of us together bombing those Iranian facilities. So I don't think Iran wants to put all of that at risk over a war that started in Gaza, which Iran wasn't notified about and didn't really want to happen at this time. That's according to all of the news articles that you read out there, but U.S. intelligence has backed up almost all of that. So those have been my thoughts. So I hate that our media has tried to scare people in the past few weeks, but it's just what they do. They got to get ad dollars, I guess. Okay, so let's get into some Ukraine news. Now, unfortunately, the biggest news and the first bit of news that I got to get into is that the United States Senate will not be voting on a deal that includes any type of aid to Ukraine this year. All of Congress has gone home for the holidays. I know we have talked in previous episodes. We were hoping they get a deal done. Now, according to news reports, the negotiators will continue to work and will bring together a deal. They hope in the January, early part of January. We will see. Now, the president of Ukraine, uh, Zelensky, he says that he is still confident that the U.S. will help. And in fact, he had a line that said, I'm sure that the U.S.A. will not betray us. So I'm hoping that happens. Now, as a part of that, I wanted to share a couple paragraphs from a column that ran in the Washington Post. This column was written by Max Boot. We've quoted him in the past. He is in the past, at least, a former Republican who's not a big fan of Trump, I think is fair to say. But I wanted to read a couple of paragraphs because, for me at least, I mostly agree with what he is saying. So, this is what he wrote. It's not often that I feel ashamed to be an American, but I was ashamed this week when the Senate refused to support a supplemental spending bill that would provide about $61 billion in urgently needed aid for Ukraine, along with $14 billion for Israel and $20 billion for border security. All of the Senate Republicans, 
Even those who had previously supported Ukraine funding voted to filibuster the bill. Their stated position was they won't provide a penny for Ukraine unless Democrats agree to a sweeping draconian overhaul of the United States immigration laws. Of course, and I'm still reading what he said, most Republicans in those days were opposed to aiding Britain. A majority of the... And I apologize. Give me one second here. Okay, I apologize. I skipped a line. So let me go back just a bit. And uh, I beg your forgiveness. So here we go. Their stated position. They won't provide a penny for Ukraine unless Democrats agree to a sweeping draconian overhaul of the United States immigration laws. I'm sorry. That's not how a serious political party or a serious country behaves during a world crisis. And again, these are the words of Max Boot. Let me continue. It's like saying to President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1941, we won't support Britain, aid to Britain, as it battles the Nazis, unless Democrats repeal the Social Security Act or rewrite the labor laws. Of course, most Republicans in those days weren't, were opposed to aiding Britain. A majority of Republicans in both houses voted against the Lend-Lease Act in early 1941, which allowed the U.S. government to provide critically needed war supplies to Britain and other nations deemed, quote, vital to the defense of the United States without demanding payment in cash. Thank goodness that in but those days, both houses were controlled by Democrats, and Senate rules did not require a 60-vote supermajority to get anything done. So those were the words of Max Boot. And let me just say, you know, I get the increasing resistance from some Republicans, especially uh, Trump is the front runner. He obviously is opposed to Ukraine aid. He claims he can make a deal with Russia within 24 hours to end the war, and he has been stating this for the better part of a year. There's been lots of disinformation from Russia about the war, and unfortunately, Republican support has begun to just dwindle to the point where they don't have the votes. Now, one thing Max Boot says in that column, he, uh, in fact, I'll read just a couple of sentences. He says, most Republicans abandoned their isolationism after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. The GOP commitment to internationalism was renewed after 1945 because of post-war Soviet aggression and then after the end of the Cold War by the 9-11 terrorist attacks. But since then... But since the end of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, Republicans have been increasingly returning to their pre-Pearl Harbor roots. So that's uh, what Max Boot wrote. I've said before about I, I myself used to flirt with kind of the we don't need to be the world's policeman uh, kind of line of political thinking. And I have drifted away from that position because I've seen how rapidly other countries move in to replace us, such as Russia and China. And this goes back even before 
the most recent large invasion of Ukraine, I saw that as we pulled back from the Middle East, that places such as Russia sent troops into Syria. You had Iran expanding its influence. You had Saudi Arabia talking about perhaps pursuing its own nuclear weapon. And to me, it became very clear that America as a stabilizing force is much better for us all. Um, so I've, I've shared that in previous episodes. So we'll just move on from that. Now, the next bit of Ukraine news that I wanted to share was that the United Kingdom, which has been a strong supporter, recently announced that they are signing a 10-year deal that helps provide Navy or naval security commitments for Ukraine. And the uh, Armed Forces Minister for the United Kingdom said that the Ukraine had already, in its efforts against the Black Sea Fleet of Russia, led to the, quote, functional defeat, end quote, of the Russian Navy. And the memorandum of understanding that the UK is signing with Ukraine uh, as part of that 10-year deal is that they will help improve naval capabilities by providing ships, equipment, naval-based missiles, and uh, training of future naval forces for Ukraine. And then the agreement does not go into the specifics of the weapons that will be provided, since there are secrecy reasons for those. So last week, I already talked about that the United Kingdom was donating two minesweeper ships to Ukraine, so this just further advances the very strong support that the United Kingdom has been showing toward Ukraine. And one thing that I forgot to mention is that they will also share some intelligence uh, with the um, with Ukraine. Uh, the official said as a part of the memorandum of understanding that intelligence sharing was one of the key elements. So that is a huge boost for Ukraine since uh, they don't have the kind of satellites and intelligence uh, sophistication that the United Kingdom has. So that'll be a, a big boost for them as well. Okay, so we're going to uh, kind of burn through four more quick stories regarding Ukraine. These are each kind of very short, because I do want to keep going on with the show. First of all, the first of those four little short stories is that the head of the Ukrainian military has proposed mobilizing 450,000 to 500,000 new soldiers. Now, that is a huge number. Uh, the president of Ukraine, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, is not on board with that. Uh, he has said that, quote, this is a serious number. I need more arguments to support this direction. Now, I did see that in the Telegraph uh, Zelensky had said in another article that for one of the um, balances that he wants to continue is that for every soldier, there's at least six taxpaying citizens who can help pay for those soldiers. So there would be a huge cost if they were to expand the military to that level. It would also be very difficult because Ukraine still mostly uses a draft and it has been increasingly challenging for them to draft the number of soldiers that are needed. The second quick story I wanted to share is that Estonia, which is a very small country of 1.3 million people, 
very small. It's a Baltic country on the uh, eastern flank of NATO. Has Shortly after last week's episode, they announced that they would send an additional $88 million to Ukraine, including uh, Javelin anti-tank missiles, ammunition, other aid. Uh, Estonia, even though it is one of the smallest countries, is one of the leading military donors to Ukraine in terms of gross domestic product. And, of course, part of that is that they are so close to the border of Russia. And prior to all of this Ukraine stuff happening, there were quite a few stories from time to time of things that Russia was doing to kind of mess with Estonia and some of the other smaller Baltic nations as as a way that Russia always does, just to kind of try to intimidate and, and ramp up the fear. I don't have time to go into all that, but Estonia has a very serious uh, commitment to the war and making sure that Russian aggression is not rewarded. Moving to the third story that I want to just briefly mention, uh, NATO, for the first time, they're not the first time, but certainly by this amount, their budget is jumping 12% in 2024. Uh, this was announced on December 13th. So it's 2024. The military part of its budget will increase by 12%, and the civil part of its budget will increase 18%. So NATO is taking all of these threats by Russia very, very serious. And it's just further proof that Russia's aggression in Ukraine, which it claimed, you know, that they were felt threatened by NATO. NATO had almost completely disbanded, as Trump clearly was showing in the last months of his administration. But since invading Ukraine, since Russia invaded Ukraine again, I should say, since they initially invaded in 2014, but since invading again with more than 100,000 troops, NATO has expanded with uh, Norway and Sweden, and obviously they're spending way more. They are taking this threat from Russia very serious. So again, the budget for the military side of it, 12% higher in one year. The civil side of it, which is includes some of the ca- uh, communication capabilities and the trying to get the entire large alliance, which is now 31 countries, to work together better, that's going up 18%. Now, the final Ukraine story I wanted to mention, we've talked about the foothold that Ukrainian troops had on the Dnipro River in the southern part near Kherson. They still have a foothold there. They've had that now for, what, four to six weeks or more. But the New York Times wrote a brutal story about the struggles of the soldiers in Ukraine, and they talked to quite a few Ukrainian soldiers who said that the mission down there was almost like a suicide mission. It made no sense. And I didn't want to go too, too much into it because I shared a gift link on my social media and some folks were commenting back and forth with me and they said, hey, part of the whole point of the mission was to get Russia to shift forces. They've done so. It was to help prop up the belief in the West that Ukraine could advance as part of its counteroffensive And so they named some reasons for it. Ukraine has obviously achieved those. But the soldiers paint a pretty bleak picture. Uh, There's just a ton of... It's a wet, swampy area, which we've talked about in some previous episodes. But Russia's even using some 
um, fighter bombers to launch these glider bombs from long range. Uh, Ukraine doesn't have much of a way to defend against those. And according to the soldiers who were interviewed for the article without providing their names because they had to speak on the condition of an anonymity, obviously, it's apparently pretty high casualty area and it's some ugly, ugly fighting. So I'm going to put in the Substack notes the entire article. It's worth the read. I'd love to hear your feedback on it, but I'm putting in a GIF link. You can read it for free. Don't need a New York Times subscription. Let me know your thoughts. And what do you think Ukraine's trying to do? Do they have larger, long-term you know, plans to go further toward Kherson and get the Crimean Peninsula? Or is this all a feint? Because I would love to hear your opinion on that as well. I could probably be persuaded either way. Okay, so we have two major sections of the show left. First, we're going to talk about what is, it to me, a huge story coming out of China. I, I don't really know why it's not getting more news coverage. And then we'll also do the motivation and wisdom section. But before we do either of those two, I just want to remind you that if you'd like to support the show, what we're trying to do here, you can sign up to support for $5 per month. You can do that through the Substack page, or you can do that through Patreon. You can find links to both of them in the Substack notes. You can come and go as you please. If you want to do it for two or three months, if you want to do it for six months, or just as short a time as you want, it's a great way to support the show. Again, you can find the details on how to do that on the Substack notes. So let's talk about this big story coming out of China. Which, like I said, I don't know why this hasn't made made bigger news inside the U.S. yet. And I think it's because it's kind of a hard story to describe. And you have to get in the weeds just a little bit, but that's what we do here. So, there was, in the South China Sea, and this incident involves the Philippines and China, near some islands there called the Spratly Islands, there's been increasing tensions growing over what... China sees as its territory, but it's actually territory that the Philippines claim. And oh, by the way, the United States has a treaty alliance with the Philippines. It's a mutual defense treaty, which goes back 70 years to 1951. So this isn't even anything to do with anything in the last five years, 10 years, 20 years. This goes back 70 years. And the mutual defense treaty, and I'm just setting the story up. This mutual defense treaty includes the disputed area mentioned in the South China Sea with what we're about to talk about. Now, I've got two links to the story because there's a couple of them. The first one is from the U.S. Naval Institute, which was one of the first places I saw this article. Again, this hasn't really broken through for some reason, I guess, with Israel and Gaza and everything else going on in the world and the Supreme or the court decision involving Trump. There's just a lot of stuff going on. So this is in the weeds, but to me, this seems like a pretty big deal. Now, in that South China Sea, the Spratly Islands, there have been increased, almost conflict, but increased incidents involving uh, three Philippine vessels and quite a few Chinese vessels. And the Philippines are trying to reinforce this island with some 
supplies, I guess reinforce is the wrong word, resupply is the right word, and China is increasingly trying to block them. And before I get into what China's doing, let me just give you the 10,000-foot sort of statement from it. Now, this this statement comes from a, a person, a guy named Ray Powell. He's the director of the Sea Light Project at Stanford University's uh, Gordian Knot Center for National Security Innovation. It's a really long st- way of saying he's an analyst who keeps up with this stuff and specializes in it. And he called what China did an unprecedented escalation. So again, this is an unprecedented escalation. Now, this incident is, as, as Powell says, if the U.S. doesn't react stronger, it will allow China to believe that it can escalate more than it already is. And Powell said the lack of tangible consequences for the recent aggression is an invitation to even more aggression from China. So what did China do? Well, the Department of Defense put out a press release about it. I'll provide a link to that article as well in the Substack notes. It describes the reef, the shoals, uh, one of them is called Second Thomas Shoal, but Chinese vessels used water cannons and forced a collision which caused damage to Philippine vessels which were undertaking official supply missions. So again, these are to to their forces that are on these islands, which the Philippines have controlled going all the way back again to the 1950s. So Chinese military ships began getting more and more aggressive. According to the Department of Defense, they impeded safe operations of the Philippine vessels carrying provisions to the Filipino service members that were stationed at this Second Thomas Shoal. Um, The Chinese vessels, according to the Department of Defense, interfered in lawful Philippine maritime operations and in the Philippine vessels' exercise of high seas freedom of navigation. They, according to the State Department spokesman, obstructed supply lines to this long-standing outpost and interfered with lawful Philippine maritime operations, which undermined regional stability. So this is a pretty big deal, because what China is trying to do is keep the Philippines from resupplying this island, which China is trying to claim now. Not to state the obvious, but... This is how many wars start. In fact, our own civil war involved Fort Sumter, which the North was struggling to resupply. And this is one of those situations where it's it's very challenging because it's not a state of war yet, but it's just one of those situations that could easily blow up because if China tries to keep the Philippines from resupplying, the U.S. as part of the Mutual Defense Treaty will have to increasingly use a stronger hand to help resupply and or possibly rescue these Philippine Filipino uh, service members. So, again, this hasn't really made the news yet. I'm not sure why. It is kind of a complicated story. It's easy for the media to say this is just disputed territory, but I will have links in the Substack notes to both of these two articles, and I highly recommend you read them. I'm not real sure how 
this will play out. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the State Department and those diplomats in China can somehow talk it out because it isn't going to take long until the military guys and gals on both sides of the ledger start laying out their options, and that's not going to be pretty. Again, the Philippines has a defense treaty with the U.S. that goes back 70 years, a mutual defense treaty. So, And they have operated a lot with the U.S. in the past in some of our own military situations. Um, let me research those briefly. Give me one moment to make sure. I've got it off the top of my head, but I want to make sure I tell you this absolutely dead on. Okay, I wanted to make sure I was right. So, yes, the Philippines did send troops to Iraq to help support uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom to help this U.S. And they have also had operations with the United States in the southern part of the Philippines against in some counterterrorism um, operations against groups that were allied with Al-Qaeda. And they've also allowed the U.S. to do flyover missions into Afghanistan as part of the war on terror. They also re-allowed the U.S. to use some military bases in the Philippines for resupply, temporary troops, logistics type stops, etc. So again, it's a long-standing alliance that goes back 70 years. And so I don't know what China's trying to do. They always seem to try to reach for that extra inch or push things as far as they can. But as that professor said, they have definitely escalated. This is an all-new level of escalation using water cannons, using those acoustic-type attacks. Not quite to the point of using actual, you know, bullets and cannons yet, but you're starting to get closer and closer when a ship rams another ship. So, And again, as I said earlier, when you're trying to essentially cut off a a country from resupplying its troops. So perhaps this will get to be a bigger story in the coming days as the media starts to cover it. Hopefully it's not. I really hope it de-escalates and China kind of backs off because I certainly don't want this to escalate. But to me, again, this sounds like a pretty big deal. And at least so far as of Wednesday night when I'm recording this, I don't see any end in sight and I don't see any easy resolution so, never a good thing when the Department of Defense is releasing press releases about situations that it feels the need to tell the public about. Never a good thing. So, something to keep on your radar in the coming days for sure. Okay, so let's get to the best part of the show. This is the motivation and wisdom section. I share these each week because I think all of us, certainly myself, could use a few words of encouragement. So let's be honest here. We all matter. You certainly matter. And you are influencing the people around you, all of whom could benefit from even a little bit of increased volume or awareness. Your kids, your spouse, your friends, your co-workers. Raise your energy. Infect these people with a little bit more of your awesomeness. A little more life, a little more light, a little more love. You can do that. I know you can. And I hope at least each of you gets at least one thing from these that I am about to read. 
So here is the first one. Hope is a strategy. Too many say it isn't. Yes, it needs to be followed by action. But don't underestimate the power of hope. It keeps you going when you want to quit. Because you have hope for tomorrow, you take one more step today. That's a good one. Next one. Nothing worth having comes easy. Again, nothing worth having comes easy. Next one. If you can't handle stress, you won't manage success. It's a good one. If you can't handle stress, you won't manage success. Next one. You succeed by doing, not by thinking about doing. It's a good one. You succeed by doing, not by thinking about doing. We can change our lives. We can do, have, and be exactly what we wish. It's another good one. This next one's a quote from someone, um, Michael Bassey Johnson. The quote is, Life begins when you start something and blooms when you keep doing it. It's a good one. Life begins when you start something and blooms when you keep doing it. Next one is, Plan with surgical precision. Schedule and lock the door behind you. The next one is, The secret of staying young is to live honestly, eat slowly, and lie about your age. That's a quote that was attributed to Lucille Ball. Next one. Surround yourself with the right people. You are the company you keep. The next one probably hits a little too close to home for all of us. One of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. And that is a quote from Plato. Um, And then I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. And I just realized that I skipped the two I wanted to read from the Bible. So I'm going to back that up. Let me read these two. All right, the first one is from Psalms, chapter 25, verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all day long. The next one's from chapter... 6 of Luke, verse 38, which is kind of appropriate for Christmas, although I can't say I planned it this way. If you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, and running over. Again, that's Luke chapter 6, verse 38. So I hope you got something from at least one of those. Uh, and then I usually end with the be the reason someone smiles because that's a nice one just to it's just a good one to end with is it not hey so I gotta say just a couple other things um first of all as you go through this week remember on social media don't engage be the wet blanket when people are mad or angry help them calm down show some love you're not gonna change anybody's mind anyway 
But a lot of these people, all they see all day long is that the other side is horrific and is going to change their way of life. And, you know, some of these people are really ramped up. They are really, they're, you know, they're a hothead. And the last thing they need is for you to argue with them or name call them. Just show some love or don't respond, but try to show some love if you can. And then I always like to say just a bit about those who are struggling with PTSD. Uh, Again, as I say every week, veterans are at a 57% higher possibility of risk of suicide than their peers of the same age. So if you are having serious issues, call 988-SELECT-1. Again, 988-SELECT-1, or you can text 838-255. As you know, if you're a long-time listener, you're probably going to turn this off anyway. So I'm going to say it. But every week, I like to talk to that person out there who may have PTSD because I want to reach you if you're struggling. So I'd like to just pose a question to you, which is just ask, you know, why is the PTSD happening? Why is it that you're struggling right now? Now, a lot of it is obviously the trauma, the things you've seen, the things you've gone through. But I'd like to put out the possibility that maybe, just maybe, something is trying to change the course of your life. Because the way I see it, you were one of the chosen few who had the guts and the courage and the self-sacrifice to serve others and to put your life on the line. And in today's society, there are not many who want to do that. And so I believe that literally the devil himself, the tormentor, the evil one, Satan, that he knows what you have in you, and he has to take you off the battlefield. He can't handle having another warrior as strong as you 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. When you think about what you might end up doing, he can't have that. And so he's got to hit hit you now while you're weak, while you're fighting this stuff mentally that I know how it really can work in your brains. I know you've probably tried alcohol. You may have tried pills. I know it's a hard fight. I know seeking help is hard, but I I do want to challenge you that you cannot give up. You know, in the Marine Corps, we used to say death before dishonor, meaning we would rather die than fall short of maintaining the standards that and the traditions of the Corps. I'm sure your branch probably had something similar. I know you're tougher than what you're going through right now. You've been through more trying circumstances, and I know I probably could try to show sympathy or something like that. But the reality is, is that you cannot lose this fight. And I want you to think about what happens if you do. I want you to think about your parents or your family. Do not, do not make them have to plan your funeral. Do not make them feel guilty that they didn't check on you, that they couldn't reach you. Do not do the same thing to your friends. It's almost like at that point you give them a pass to do the same thing. And it's when they see you go, it's easier for them to do the same thing. Don't leave your wife or kids here without you. You can hold on another day. And if you do, I promise the next day will be easier. I want you to think about if you're in combat and you are in a fight that you may lose you call for backup. And so that's what I want you to do. Call for help. But don't surrender. Don't give up. Call for help. You can call 988-SELECT-1. 
but do not let the devil convince you that you will not that you will not be missed because you will be don't let him convince you that no one cares that no one understands what you're going through it's all crap you just have to get through the next 10 minutes through the next day it gets easier if you don't already have some kind of faith i su- i suggest beg plead Reach out to God. He can drive out the devil. He wants you to reach out to him. You can find easily all kinds of of ways to read the Bible. There are phone apps. There are websites. God loves you. He cares. You can reach him at any time through prayer, through, prayer, through the Bible. Again, as I said, I just don't want you to give up. You can't give up. I want you to think about the future. Think about that spouse that you may not have yet, think about what you might be destined to do. That it's just, it's so easy to, everything is like pushing into you, but there's there's something you're meant to do. You might want, it might be to help others with PTSD. It might be to help unite the country. It might be to help run for office, help fix our dysfunctional Congress or the local government in your area. Maybe it's to inspire some kid to coach some little league team. Just get involved, stop isolating yourself, and don't give up. Be a warrior and do not let the enemy win. I beg of you. Now finally, if you're doing fine right now, I want to challenge you to reach out to someone who may not be someone you haven't talked to in a while, especially if they're a military vet. And I always like to end by saying that You know, in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes, it says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So just as the verse says, we all serve as the hands of God. So if you're doing well in life, reach out, check on that person who may not be If you are struggling, I beg of you, call the Veterans Crisis Line anytime, day or night, 988-SELECT-1, 988-SELECT-1, or you can hit your knees and beg God to help you to drive the thoughts out from your head, and He will do it, I promise you. Always like to end the show by saying you can uh, comment anytime. I try to monitor those. You can also email me privately at authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. Again, authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. You can say hi. You can vent. You can send news tips. I love all of those things. I love you guys, but never forget that God loves you more. I will catch you next week. You have been listening to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and I am out.